I'm going to start recording here. So turn over in your Bible to the book of Colossians. So we're going to be studying that. And we're going to be studying Colossians for a while now. So this is lesson three that we've got to so far. And so the book of Colossians is a really neat book. Of course, like every other book in the Bible. And, uh, uh, but we can learn a lot from the book of Colossians. And so, just to review on your handout, uh, chapter 1 and 2 are doctrinal because they're basically going to be teaching about Christ and who He is and what He's done for us. And then chapter 3 and 4 are how to... They're pra- it's practical, so basically how to, how to take what we've learned, that biblical knowledge, and then use it in our life. So one has given us the knowledge and one has given us the walk. Okay, you've heard of people... You know, walking the talk or talking the walk, get that mixed up. You know, a Christian should know what he needs to do and then he needs to actually do it. And so this book is just right down those lines. And so we saw last week uh, in Colossians chapter 1 through 8 was really the introduction that Paul had to this church that was at Colossae. And so we're going to continue with that today. And basically what we're going to look at today is the prayer that he had for them. Now, we just, we just said a prayer and, and many of us, you know, some of us, you know, may not be real open with praying and that's okay. But when you get home and pray with the Lord, this is the type of prayer that you should pray for people. This is the kind of prayer I wish people would pray for me. And, and when you look at it, it's kind of like Paul never met this church. He'd never met these people before. He had heard about them from Epaphras. And so he's going to give them some knowledge that he has to help them. So it would be like some of us. Uh, now, I've been on some mission trips. And some of you have been on mission trips. You've been on discipleship trips. You've, 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 you may have been to Monmouth and helped them with their kids when we go up there. And so what, what we have here is Paul never meeting these people and yet he wants to give them some Bible. And so it would be like us, you know, going to Oaxaca and we meet these people and of course we have a missionary there, Joe Hendrickson, that we support. But can you imagine if Joe Hendricksman left and then all that's there was the church and the, the work that he had started and it would be like us, what can we write them a letter to give them some information that they need to know about God? And that's where we're at with, with Paul here. He's writing this church and he's been praying for this church and he wants to give them some Bible. And that's what we're going to look at today is his prayer. So number one on your handout, that says Colossians Lesson 3. Uh, uh, under number 1 there, it says Paul and Timothy's prayer. So prayer goes in that line. It goes in that blank. And again, what I said, this is a great prayer. So let's read this prayer. And then we're going to stop and we're going to just do like we normally do. See if we can break this down. So... Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, says, For this cause, we also since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So I'm going to stop right there. So last week I asked 
uh, our class, our homework last week was to read something in, in Colossians chapter 1 that was important to them or that they saw that was important to the book of Colossians. And I had two answers. One answer was, well, they liked verse 9 that says that we need to be filled with the knowledge of God. Okay. The second answer that I got from one of the ladies in our class was that we need to walk in that wisdom. And I'm like, that's it. So I can just close up my book and we can call it good because that's really what the book is about is how to know what God wants us to know and then just do it. Real simple. I tell everybody I'm short, sweet, and simple. And I am. I'm pretty simple-minded. I just want the basics. You know, you have these these theologians and these guys with these... Who was it? It's a Brian Hedges I heard last week talk about these professors with their PhDs. And he said that was short for post-hole digger, didn't he? <laughs> and I thought that was funny. You know, I, you know these guys... You know, they, they're so smart. They're too smart for their own good. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just a simple guy. I just believe what, what the book says, okay? And so I think that's how we need to be. I'm just, I just want to, what does the book say? And then put it in my pipe and smoke it. That's what I want to do. Not that I smoke. But anyway, uh, so let's continue on. Uh, verse 11. So, continuing on with this prayer, he says, uh, strengthened with all might. He goes, I want you to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Okay? So, it's real... I'm going to stop the prayer right there because it, He just starts getting into some teaching and it probably depends on who's teaching on Colossians where they break this prayer off, but it's like His prayer just kind of goes into what He wants them to know. Okay? And so, under... under uh, Point one and under A it says, Paul and Timothy's prayer for the Colossians, nine one through four or nine chapter one, nine through fourteen, that they would be filled with the first of all was in verse nine was God's knowledge. So just imagine you guys writing a letter to a person that just got saved and you go, You know what I want for you? I want you to learn God's knowledge. That's pretty pretty good wisdom, isn't it? And so he wants them to be filled with God's knowledge, verse 9. And it says, in all wisdom and in all spiritual understanding. So two things he wants them to be filled with God's knowledge in. Number one, all wisdom. Well, that pretty well sums it all up, doesn't it? And then all spiritual understanding. And so you've got knowledge, wisdom, understanding, all those words. And it used to drive me bonkers because I wanted a good definition for each one of these words, which I think we can come up with. But almost all of them, when you look them up in the concordance or the dictionary, use one of the others to describe that one. 
And I'm like, okay, so what's the difference between understanding and wisdom? And, and we could go back and break that down, but I don't want to bore you with all that. But I do want, the Bible does say that they would be filled with God's knowledge and all wisdom. Now hold on to your place in Colossians, and I want you to back up to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. Because you'll see a lot of the same things um, when Paul writes to other churches. Because he's, he's not giving one church something different than what he gives the others unless he's addressing something specific. But you'll see, that's why Paul's books kind of all, you know, they flow together because he's giving them all uh, wisdom from God. Ephesians 1 verse 17, in fact, let's back up to verse 15 says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, same thing to this church, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Kind of the same thing. So he tells the, the Ephesians basically the same thing, that he wants them to, to know God's knowledge and all wisdom. And then he also says not only in wisdom, but in spiritual understanding. You know, Solomon was the wisest man on the earth. But yet, I wonder how much spiritual understanding he had. Because he messed up a lot, you're right. You know, and that's why you can have, you can be the smartest individual out there. But if you don't apply it, or if you don't have any spiritual understanding, you have all these lost men that are very smart. They have a lot of wisdom and knowledge. It may not be God's. Well, let me put it this way. What they do have is God's, but they don't have the spiritual part. Okay? And he wants them to have spiritual understanding, okay? So, turn over to 2 Timothy. I'll try not to have a lot of verses today, but 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7 says, see if I'm in the right spot. 2 Timothy 2, 7 says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So the things that we need to realize is the Lord wants to give us understanding. He wants us to give us wisdom because it's His. He wants to impart that to him, to us. And so we need to have spiritual understanding. So in my Bible reading this week, I started the book of Isaiah. And right off the bat, remember I told you a week or so ago, it seems like every book we've been studying is focusing on what? Christ, Christ Jesus. Great answers, Rex. But it's more specific. Second coming. The second coming. Okay. It's like every book we look at is focused on the second coming, no matter what book we've been studying. Well, the book of Isaiah right off the bat starts off with talking about the second coming. So, again, hold on to Colossians, and I want you to go back to Isaiah chapter 5. And I'm going to try to make my point here. Isaiah chapter 5, and I'm going to read almost the whole uh, chapter here. But I want you to see what was the problem with Israel in the Old Testament. 
And what do you think it is? We're going to find out. Hold on to that thought. Isaiah chapter 5 says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein and he looked that it should bring forth grapes but it brought forth what kind of grapes? Wild. Wild grapes. Can you imagine that? How many of you guys plant gardens and flowers and all that? Okay, a lot of us do. You plant you plant a certain thing and something else pops up that that shouldn't happen. You know, you don't plant pumpkins and peas come up unless you had your 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 uh, bag marked wrong, right? Um, what's that? But the seeds look different. Well, yeah, you should know that, right? Uh, and, you know, when you're planting lettuce and pumpkin, you should know which one's which, right? Because one is huge and one's little. But anyway, he, he this guy he 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 plants. The best grapes, but yet wild grapes come up. And verse 3 says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it or in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. And I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So he's using a vineyard to describe... Israel. And he says, I've basically done everything for you and, and got you where you need to be, but you're producing the wrong fruit. And it's in verse 7 again, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant, and he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, Till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ear saith the Lord, said the Lord of hosts, of a truth many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of a homer shall yield an ephah. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them, and the harp and the vial and the tabret and the pipe and wine are in their feast. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no what? No knowledge. What was the problem with the Israelites in the Old Testament? They had no knowledge knowledge of God. In other words, they didn't take it to heed. It was there, but they didn't believe it, and they didn't use it. They didn't walk the talk, okay? 
And so because they have no knowledge. And that's really how he sums them up in the Old Testament. The reason they went astray was because they had no knowledge or they didn't put their faith in that knowledge more, more specifically. So I'll stop there instead of reading the whole verse, but I will jump over to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. Somebody else likes that verse too. I mean chapter 11. And let's read verses 1 through 9. And there shall come forth a root, or a rod out of the stem of Jesse, I'm sorry, and a branch. Notice that branch is capitalized. And we know that's Jesus. And a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and it shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and the little child shall lead them and the cow and the bear shall feed and their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, and I'll stop there. So the context finally is when Christ's kingdom is, is in force, the knowledge will be there and the people will have that knowledge. Okay. And so uh, we could go back to Proverbs and look at knowledge too and all that. So I just wanted to point out, this prayer has some, has some meat to it. He says, I want you guys to be filled with God's knowledge. Because if you can get the person that you're teaching or, or talking about Christ to be filled with God's knowledge, that's the best you can be. I mean, that's the best that person can have. You know, rubies and gold and all that's worthless. God's knowledge is everything. Okay. And His understanding is everything. And here's the deal. God wants us to know Him. Mm-hmm. And He wants I to know who by He is. Having the knowledge that that's going to help discern between Satan and when He comes and tries His Oh, and the, knowing what the Bible says, what God's word is, is going to help us stand up to Him and say, you know, because if Satan can uh, make all those angels fall, he can do that to us real easy. But if we don't have knowledge of what we're learning, am I saying that right or wrong? No, it's. I mean, um, yeah, we. It is, it is possible for a Christian be, to be, to be tricked or to follow the world or, or even follow after Satan, uh, with what they do, not, not for their salvation, but, um, but having God's knowledge, uh-huh. it's gonna, it's gonna eliminate 
a lot of that. Right. Okay, so I mean, you ask, we see Christians that go a AWOL, mm-hmm. and we're like, why'd they go AWOL? They were listening to some other spirit besides God's. They were listening to some other knowledge besides God's. Um, Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, that was one thing. Hey, don't you want to have wisdom and knowledge? Mm-hmm. But, but they didn't do it God's way, mm-hmm. you know. And so, but, but Timothy and Paul here, they're praying for this church and they go, we, we're praying that you would be filled with God's knowledge and all wisdom and in spiritual understanding. So that's verse 9. Under B in your handout, it says that they would walk worthy of the Lord. So again, that's something that you would want somebody who's a new Christian to have. I want you to know about God. I want you to know who He is. Start reading the Bible. You, you're only going to get that knowledge from someone teaching the Word of God or you reading it and letting the Holy Spirit t- teach you. But then I want you to uh, walk in it. In other words, start living your life because God has given you this knowledge. Okay? And then back in Colossians, we're going to just kind of go through this list, and hopefully I can get through it today. So, um, that they would walk worthy of the Lord, verse 10. And then, and then he goes through a list of things here that we're going to look, and I have them all, uh, lined out here. Number one, that their walk would be pleasing unto Christ. Well, isn't that something you want? Your family or your kids or somebody you're discipling or somebody that you know, you want them to be filled with God's knowledge and you want them to walk worthy in that and you want that walk to be pleasing to God. Sometimes I think my walk isn't real pleasing to God. And I have to back up and like, I need to, I need to take care of this. Okay? So he, he says that their walk needs to be pleasing unto Christ. Number two, that their walk would be fruitful. Fruitful goes in your blank. Now let me give you a little secret here. If you're a Christian and you're and uh, you're not being fruitful in your walk, there's something wrong. Because when you put your faith and trust and you start living your life and start walking for the Lord, it's not gonna. You can't help but to produce fruit. And so, he says, "I want your walk to please God, and I want it to be fruitful." And then number three, he goes, we want your walk to be ever increasing. This is just not a done deal. You know, you just don't walk with the Lord one day or one week or one month. No, this is the rest of your life. You know, Christ wants your life. It needs to be uh, ever increasing. Number four, he says that their walk would be strengthened. He wants your walk to have strength or power in it. Okay. Sometimes again, maybe maybe you guys aren't like this. Sometimes I feel I'm pretty weak. Well, guess what? I am pretty weak. And the older I get, the more weaker I am. But yet it's Christ in me that has the power. It's His words that have the power. So our walk needs to be strengthened. Ephesians 3.16, I won't go there. But then our walk needs to be with power. Ephesians 6.10 and that their walk would be with patience. Oh my goodness, does this not hit home? He goes, I want you guys to be patient. Again, you're talking to, uh, he's talking to a church that he hasn't talked to, like a new believer, and he's giving them information. He says, and guys, you're going to have to be patient. Do you guys ever tell that to your kids? you got to be patient. <laughs> Do you ever tell that to yourself? Do you ever tell that to your spouse? 
You got to be patient. Before I was a Christian, I told her, she said, you need to have patience. I told my mom, I have none. <laughs> okay. Uh, before. Okay. You don't want to pray for patience, right? You've heard people say, well, I prayed for patience and this is what happens. I just can't wait for the answer. <laughs> that they would, <laughs> they, that their walk would be with patience. So turn over, we're already back in Colossians, so turn back a couple pages to the right to, uh, 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. Now, a lot of these you'll see in the fruit of the Spirit will produce these because the fruit of the Spirit is really just God's characteristics. All the fruit of the Spirit comes from that. But you don't see patience in fruit of the Spirit. Okay? But we do see it in other places. So, 1 Timothy 3.3. 3, and uh, we'll back up to verse 1 just to get to context. says this. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no filthy striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, and not covetous. So patient, even though it's not part of the fruit of the Spirit, we see that a a, a uh, bishop or a pastor has to have these qualities. And you guys go, wait a minute, that's for the pastor. I don't have to be this way. Well, uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh, pastor is not anything special. Okay. So turn over to James, the book of James. Hebrews, James. Chapter 5. And we're going to see what else we can come up with this. James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and later rain. Verse 8 be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Well, that's all of us. We're all waiting for the coming of the Lord, either in the rapture. If you miss that, you have seven years to get out. Uh, but either way, Christ is coming. Okay? And it says to be patient. Now, what is a husbandman? A farmer, someone who tends the soil. Now, again, to all you people that plant or have planted, when you plant things from seed, by the way, how's the how's the uh, peppers coming? I'm not real patient, am I? I keep asking you all the time. Rex has grown some. He grew he grew a couple tomatoes for me, and he's been working on some peppers, but he's getting kind of slow. I don't know what the deal is. I'm going to have to find somebody else. I mean, you're just not quick enough, Rex. I mean, come on. The farm the guy has to be patient. I have to be patient. I'm messing with you. I can't mix. Uh, mess around with Roger all the time. Uh, but the farmer plants the seed and he has to wait for them to come up. He's got to be patient. You know, I'm seeing, I'm see, is it corn I'm starting to see in some of the fields? It's coming up. Uh, yeah, and wheat's already up, but I mean, uh, but you're starting to see that come up. Our lettuce this week just finally got up this week, I think, enough to pick, right? 
So we picked it twice. I mean, we picked it and then we had a little shower one night this week. Did you guys get a shower? Yeah. And after that shower, it didn't even look like the, I had picked the lettuce, so I went, we, I went back out yesterday and picked some more. But I'm like, you have, it's taking it a while to get to that stage. And so we've got to be patient. And that's what James says, because we have to be like a husbandman or a, a farmer or a planter, someone who tills the ground. We've got to be patient. And that fits right along with our list here, with our new believer that maybe we're talking to or the church that he's talking to in Colossae. He's giving them instructions on how their walk is to be. And it's supposed to be with patience. Number seven, he says that their walk would be with long-suffering. Oh my goodness. You know, having a walk with Christ is kind of like having kids. You gotta have these same qualities. They fit in. We've gotta be long-suffering. And again, long-suffering, if I'm not right, is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. Okay? And so, he's given them some good information here. And he says, we're praying for you all these things, and that we're also praying that your walk would be with joyfulness. Because, you know, that's good advice because sometimes our walk is not always joyful. There are days that we're on top of the mountain and there are days we're down in the valley. You know, I've heard preachers say, you know, I just want to be halfway up the mountainside. I don't. I want to be on top the whole time, but I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. Last week you heard about a man, and I didn't ask you, the man that was wanting to commit suicide. And he's a Christian. Do you find out anything more about that? I just asked. Was this really so they haven't updated yet? Okay. I know he's still in a coma. Oh, he so he did try to. Yes. I mean, he did more than just want to try. Okay, so last week Beverly got and Beverly and Mark both got a text that there was a family member that was talking about someone else. Now this guy's not a family member, right? Or he is. He's a cousin. And he's supposed to be a Christian. And he looks like he's been a faithful, strong Christian, tried to commit suicide, and are like, this does not compute. The day before he did it, he had posted on his Facebook about uh, mental health illness. I thought, knowing him, I thought he knows someone struggling, because that's just the person he was. He was always uplifting and giving people scripture and everything. So, And yet, he... He physically tried to commit suicide. So, yeah. So even Christians, good Christians, and let me just flat tell you, any Christian, pastors, they get depressed. There are times when when we get depressed. So it's not just anybody. It's it's all of us. And so there are times that, that I get depressed. And I'm like, the other day I had to have a talk with myself. And I'm like, now wait a minute. There's no reason why I should be down because I have every reason. I have every every reason to live, and I have every reason to die. Now, maybe that's what it was. No, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to make fun of it, but but no matter what, I have God's promises, so I, I should not be depressed, no matter what's going on. Have you talked to Dave about his friend? Because he was going to. Dave Branham. I haven't talked to him this week, but yes. But your cousin actually tried. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so update us on how he's doing. So it is possible that in a Christian walk you can get so depressed that you even want to commit suicide. Which for sometimes I'm like, I just don't see how that's possible. But yet, 
I know we get depressed. And the thing is, there are chemical imbalances in our body that if they're not taken care of, we do, we can become very depressed. That's yes. Yeah, that's that is true too. Okay, so um, uh, let's see where we were at on our list. So, but we need to have joy. We need to have that joy, joy, joy down in our heart because we we do have everything to live for and everything to die for because we have the promises of God. Number nine, that they would give thanks to the Father for their walk and during their walk. So now it's a little bit different. He goes, not only am I praying for you guys to do this, I'm praying for you that you pray and that basically that you would pray to the Father in your walk and during your walk. And number one, for your walk. So what what, what am I trying to say? Number one, for their salvation. They wouldn't have a walk if they wasn't saved. So we need to keep thinking, thanking God. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for putting that person in my life that gave me the gospel. I remember that. It's changed my life. I'm, I want to continue to thank you for that. Uh, how many of you have done that? Have you, ever, have you ever thanked God for the person that led you to Christ? Okay. Uh, the lady that led me to Christ was years ago, and I have yet to see her because she moved to like California. But I'm like, man, I, I, I went back to one of our uh, church reunions once just specifically to talk to her because I was told that she would be there, and she wasn't. And then, and then that's when the big fight broke out with me and the other, other people. I told you about, right? I go to the I go to this church reunion and I just asked one of the guys said that he went to a Bible church and he started going off on me about you know Baptists just think everything's all about them and and I'm I'm filling my plate and I just asked him I said so what is a Bible church? Can you tell me what a Bible church is? And I grew up in a in a Baptist church. Southern Baptist Church, and the guy just started going off on me. He's like, you Baptists, you think you're the only ones that's going to get to heaven. You think this, you think that. And I'm like, I just asked you what a Bible church was, you know. And so my wife's over here wanting to crawl under the table, and I'm over here talking with this. Like I said, I I got things to do, man. I'm just trying to chit-chat with you. And he took offense that I asked him what his church believed. And he goes, you, you Baptists think everything's all about you and you're the only one that, and blah, 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 blah. He goes, just name me one Baptist that you know of that's in heaven that you can prove. And I go, well, what about John? And he turned around and left. <laughs> My wife told me, I can't even take you to a church reunion without you starting a fight. That seems like a reasonable question. Well, that's what I thought, but oh well. Uh, so anyway. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but oh well. Uh, that he, so he, he, he's giving thanks to them and praying for them that they would thank God for their salvation and their walk while they're in their walk. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so, and then it kind of starts switching. He starts giving them some information back in Colossians here. And so it kind of, we're starting to leave the prayer and he's starting to get into doctrine here. And says, uh, uh, talking about them and their walk and, and about their walk, your first bullet point there says, who has made us? He goes, now you gotta remember guys, who had, God, thank God for your salvation and for your walk while you're in your walk because, and then, uh, he says, because Christ, God who has made us 
to be partakers of an inheritance. And let's go back and look at that again in verse 12. In the middle of this, he says, "...giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." And so he goes, you need to thank God also because He's made you partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And that's a mouthful. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Okay? So he says, you gotta remember this. You need to be thankful because God has given you, has made you to be partakers of an inheritance. In other words, He's given you some promises. And that inheritance is to be a part of Christ's kingdom. Okay? It's to be a part of Christ's kingdom. That's our inheritance. What is our inheritance in Christ? You know, a lot of times we think you ask somebody, okay, I got, what was the most important thing you got received when you accepted Christ as your Savior? Eternal life. Yeah. Eternal life. Okay, that's the standard answer. That's not always the answer I like. That's just me. But that is true. I, I think it's like a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. The God who made the universe is my Father and He's my Savior and all of that stuff. All of that. Okay, so I like that too. So we focus on the fact that we're going to have eternal life more than what we should be focusing on. What you said is now I have fellowship with God. But yet, I, I'm with you, Roger. It's taken me a long time to think about this. And I'm like, uh, I, we do have eternal life. But you know, even the lost person thrown in the lake of fire has an eternal life. It's just not life like what we want. Okay? So, right. So, so I guess we can define what is eternal life. They're eternal. The person thrown in the lake of fire but they don't have life. We have life. What's that? They have eternal torment. That is good. So, what we really... And again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody in here because I have the same thoughts. We need to really focus on the day I accepted Christ, now I have a relationship with Christ. The fact that He makes it eternal is a bonus. Okay. The main thing is now we have a relationship with God and our sins have been paid for. Okay. See, I think that's what's missed in most, I don't want to say religions, but I mean, even like the Catholics, they don't understand the relationship. They're all about traditions. Okay, yes. The, the relationship part is completely... Yes. Okay, so we're going to talk about that just a little bit in a minute. Okay, so when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are partakers of Christ's kingdom. We, we, my goodness, we are engaged to Christ. We are to be married with Christ. Have you ever thought about that? We are going to be entwined with the God of the universe. There is a wedding feast for us in heaven. And guess what? The, the wife, that's kind of weird for us because guys, the wife that marries the husband partakes of what the husband has, right? That's why my wife married me, just because I was loaded. You're lucky she's not here. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only reason you said that. Yeah. You're right. 
The problem is I didn't think you guys would wrap me up, but I, I should have, I, I should have thought of that. <laughs> okay. No, but, but the point is, I, I went to a wedding once where the preacher told, told the, um, told the husband, he goes, it was his daughter that was getting married, he goes, now son, we have given you our daughter, and now what you have is ours. And I'm like, I'm scratching my head, I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting there listening to this, and I'm like, this is in the marriage ceremony, and I'm sitting there thinking, uh, something's not right with that statement, you know? It's like, we've given you my daughter, and now everything is yours is ours. And I'm like, I don't think so. But it is, isn't it? <laughs> well, with Christ it is, but not here. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, we we have been given so much stuff. So he goes, here he says, you need to give thanks to God the Father for your walk, for your salvation, and for being partakers. Partakers goes in your blank if you don't already have that, your first bullet point. Partakers of, of an inheritance, and that inheritance is being part of Christ's kingdom. Okay? Uh, the second bullet point says, who hath delivered us from darkness. Now I pulled that right out of verse 13. Verse 13 says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Okay? And so, that's another thing that God's done for us. He has delivered us. Delivered goes in your blank. From darkness. And its power. You know, that's why these people that follow uh, satanic uh, cults and the satanic religions, which all of them are, uh, they're in darkness. You know, you go to some of these third world countries and they are dark because they're following all the witchcraft and all the voodoo that's going on. They're in darkness. And it's powerful. I had a missionary friend of mine that was in Kenya and uh, he was back and he was associate pastor of one of the churches I was at and he was a really close friend of mine. He says, when I was in uh, Elder Elder." Uh, Kenya, he goes. I'm driving around the corner on the way way back to my house, and I see the guy on on the corner waving to me. And I go, yeah. So he goes. He was elevated four feet off the ground. Mm. I go, what? He goes, witchcraft is real in Kenya. <laughs> you don't see that every day over here, but uh, it's powerful. Okay. The next bullet point says, not only that, verse 14 says, who has translated us unto his, which is Christ's kingdom. Okay. So let's read that. 13 says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of his dear son. Hallelujah. That's what he's done for us. We've been translated. Now, what what do you mean by trans? What do I mean by translate? Can anybody tell me what translated means? It means transferred. Transferred. Okay. So usually, like like uh, Paula's been thinking, she's going to get transferred in her job, right? Or if somebody comes to you at your job and says, "You've been transferred." What do you mean? Like to a different department or this or that? Translated here means we have been transferred. So let's put that in there. It says, Who Christ hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath transferred us unto the kingdom of His dear Son. 
So He's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son when we got saved. Okay. So how did Christ do this? I have several statements here, questions on your handout. How did Christ transfer us from the power of the devil, from the, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? How did He do this? How did Christ deliver us? Because it says we've been delivered. How did He translate us? How did He transfer us? And let's go one step further. Um, Verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So, how did... All of those are by His death and resurrection. Absolutely. So how did Christ uh, uh, make us partakers of His inheritance? How did He deliver us from the power of darkness? How did He transfer us into the kingdom of His Son? How did He redeem us? And the next question on your handout says, did He just forgive us our sins? He had to pay the debt. No, it was through His blood, verse 14. So let's read that, all of it. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, who was it that was mentioning the Catholics a minute ago? They make, they, they leave out, they want to leave out the blood. They want to bring it to the point that we get forgiven by Christ. But they don't want to mention how, which is through the blood. Because if you leave out the blood, there is no redeeming. And there is no forgiving. Because they're tied together. They're, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what they're trying to do. But um, So I've got some things on our, our handout here. And so many false Bibles today will leave out through His blood in this verse. Okay? So you may have a Bible, and if it doesn't say through the blood there, you better check your Bible out and see if it's a how good a Bible it is. Okay, so let me give you... I've given you some more checkpoints to, to uh, point out false Bibles. And so, Phyllis, I don't know what kind of Bible you have. I have the uh, NIV. NIV, okay. What does your Bible say? Uh, You're trying to read it, okay. Um, many false Bibles today will leave out through the blood, and you cannot leave out the blood. Okay. That was verse 14. Uh, Colossians 1, I'm sorry, is that right? Yeah, one fourteen. And my Bible says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It just says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, through His blood. Okay, they do have through His blood. Do they have through His blood there, Phyllis? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Read, read that again for us. Okay. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so it doesn't. Uh-uh. So it leaves out the blood. Okay. So, uh, but the blood is very important. We've got to have Christ's blood shed for our sins or there is no 
forgiveness of sins. So I've got some more check places in your Bible that you can look at. Uh, you can check your Bible out. There are other checkpoints. Or Luke 2.33. In Luke 2.33, in a lot of the Bibles, that we're talking about uh, Joseph and Mary. It, call, it says, uh, our Bible will say Joseph. Other Bibles will say his father. Okay? 1 Timothy 3.16 says, God manifest in the flesh. That's taken out of a lot of the Bibles. Acts 20.28, they take out the word blood, just like we have here in verse 14. In Acts 8.37, it takes out heart belief to be saved. If you don't have heart belief, you're not going to get saved. Because again, it's all by works. Okay? And then in John 9.35, they leave out the Son of God. And so again, that was just kind of a side note that I put in here and gave you some verses to just look at in your Bible. But we've got, we are only saved through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So I'm going to stop there. That's kind of towards the end of the prayer. And so next week we're going to pick up and we're going to start talking in verse 15 about who Christ is. And so this church needs to have be grounded in this information because this is important. This is important. So you have your Bible there. If you still are open to uh, Colossians, look at Colossians chapter 2. And we're not going to get here for a few weeks. But he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. There you go. Uh, eight. I'm sorry. Two eight. Colossians two eight. We'll be talking about this coming up. It says, "Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ." So that's what we're going to also see as we go through our list here. But first of all, we need to thank God for what the promises He's given us and what He's done for us, and it's all centered on. Christ, redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So, if you got any questions, you can come and ask me afterwards. Uh, but the book of Colossians is a great book. It gives us, we're going to get into some doctrine for the first two chapters, and then we're going to talk about you know how to live it in our life, chapter 3 and 4. So let's pray, and we will get out of here. Father in heaven, we do thank You for Your Word. Uh, thank You for... Uh, the promises that you've given to us in your word, Lord, and how everything is is clear in the book that you've given us. So we thank you for that. I thank you for the people that are here today to hear your word. And I pray that we would uh, focus on your word, that we would read your word, that we'd meditate on it, and that we would just apply it in our life and live it out. So that that is what you desire for us. That was Paul and Timothy's desire for the church, but really it was your desire also, Lord, and you're the one that put the words in, into Paul and Timothy's mouth, and you are the one that have preserved it into your word and that we have today. So we, we thank you for that. Help us to learn from that and help us just to, to do it, Lord. And so we pray that you give us a good rest of the day. Thank you for the, again for the people that are here, and we just ask your blessing upon the study of your word and in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.